message that's wrote. You got him. I got him. We should take him below, Pelican. He's not Nightbreed. He's natural. No. I've killed people. I'm like you. That's why I'm here. Shut the fuck up. You'll meet. If we eat him, we break the law. It's true. Everything's true. God's an astronaut. Oz is over the rainbow. Midian's where the monsters live. Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We are going to be looking at a horror film, I guess is the uh, best way to put this. I mean, horror fantasy, I suppose, could be uh, a way to quantify it. We're going to be looking at 1990's Nightbreed. Uh, Nightbreed is a movie that like horror fans uh, are probably familiar with, have at least heard of it, I would think. But if you're just sort of a casual horror fan or a movie fan in general, probably not a good chance not a movie that you've like come across because it wasn't successful. It uh, had an $11 million budget and it made $16 million. So that sounds like, oh, it was at least somewhat profitable. But the way Hollywood works with marketing and stuff, they never include that. So it, I, from, I, I'm pretty sure it was like seen as like a commercial failure. So it, it probably needed to make a decent bit more to actually be financially successful. Um, it was written and directed by Clive Barker, the famous horror novelist and short story writer Clive Barker, and it was based on his novel Cabal. Um, so he's most famous for a lot of his books. For the Hellraiser series, he uh, wrote and directed the original Hellraiser based on one of his uh, novellas. And then he went on to like write and produce different entries into the Hellraiser series past that. And past that, beyond that, I would say he's also famous for Candyman. He didn't have uh, any strict involvement in the original Candyman, I don't think, unless he was a producer or something. But it is based on one of his stories. So he has launched, you know, two pretty, you know, big deal horror franchise i mean Candyman's a little little more low level but it's getting some new life breathed into it with uh, jordan peele and some people coming up um which uh I, I for one and i know at least one of our panelists dusty i think you probably are psyched for that as well so at least two of our panelists are uh very much looking forward to i said at least one i was i was david you were a given there was no question um and who was, uh, I don't want to just throw out that it was Jordan Peele because he's producing it, um, but I know a lot of people online were kind of like sweeping the director under the rug. So does anyone know the director's name? I want to say it's Tisha Green, but I might be wrong. Okay. Check on that, if you will. Uh, I'll throw that Nia out there. Nia DaCosta. Um, say it again? It's Nia DaCosta. Okay. So that's the director for Candyman, and Jordan Peele is serving as producer on that. But uh, if you haven't seen a trailer for it, that's been floating out there for like a year or so, more than a year probably, because it was one that got uh, killed from COVID. It was supposed to come out last summer and got delayed. But uh, so Clive Barker, th those are some of his uh, like famous franchise and things he's connected to. He, as I said, wrote and directed this. We have Danny Elfman doing the music, kind of in peak Danny Elfman years. This is a year after Batman. It's the same year he did Dick Tracy. It's after he had done Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, 
and then you know he still had on the horizon like Nightmare Before Christmas and stuff like that. A lot of other work with Burton, but this is uh, this is some prime Danny Elfman territory. And then I would say uh, another aspect about this is that Clive Barker originally conceived it as being part of a series. He wanted to sort of make I saw one quote where apparently he wanted to make like the horror Star Wars, which I, I was saw like, that same oh, quote. Okay, I guess. And there's monsters and there's people. Uh, sure, maybe. Well, but when he, he did out have that lightsaber, I mean, I think that was part of the the draw there. Yes. <laughs> but I he did. The uh, there, there are a lot of like zany characters and stuff, and uh, you know, un- unusual, you know, visually arresting characters. So I could see possibly thinking that you could maybe uh, take that and people could latch onto it. And then he, you know, he had more more places to go with it, and some of the narrative. T- kind of hints at that particularly in uh, in certain versions and that's one other thing i'll say before we get going so there are at least three versions of this film there is the original cut which is not what barker wanted it was like cut down by the studio because the studio is not really liking what they were seeing and not really understanding it and so that's the version that got released and was available for decades and that ran about an hour 40, hour 42. Um, and it, you know, still attracted like a sizable cult following, um, even though it wasn't what Barker, you know, really wanted. And then for years, Barker wanted to release some kind of director's cut and get access to the footage. Because, but because this film was not financially successful, there really wasn't a call for it. It was kind of like a... Blade Runner situation with Ridley Scott where like you know Blade Runner was not a success at the time but then over the years it developed more so I I think a lot of fan push finally got it to the point where they could do something and some footage was discovered and we'll talk more about this coming up but there was what was being referred to as the Cabal Cut which is about two and a half hours and was sort of a cobbled together version that incorporated sort of like everything viable that they shot and that is not the cut that we watched um we uh they then finally he got access to i think basically the the full film negatives that he had not gotten access to for years and so he took that and i think he probably realized the cabal cut was too long and probably with you know the benefit of his age like looking at it like yeah some of the stuff we don't need we can cut out some of the stuff so he cut it down to like two hours, so closer to his original runtime, but I think that a lot of stuff is different than what he even would have considered like, you know, 30-some years ago. So, uh, and then he, he altered scenes. He took some scenes out and put other scenes in, or he would do different takes of scenes and stuff. So it gets like fairly complicated as far as that goes. But that's only been within the last like four or five years, I think, that... Um, maybe a little bit longer that the the cabal cut and the director's cut have been widely available so we looked at the director's cut because it's sort of seen as i think like the final official version um although one of our members did uh do double duty and watch the original cut so we'll talk about that for some comparison all right so that is some background there on nightbreed uh, i'm gonna go ahead and introduce our panel all uh, horror fans, some more um, excessive and over the top than others, but uh, you know we're all certainly uh, 
fans of horror. So first up, uh, we have Nate joining us. Nate, it's been a good while since you've been on the podcast. I'm not sure what your last one was, but... Uh, I don't remember. Um, we've been busy in now that now that kids are running around in all the sports. Busy, and I am unable to get to this th- stuff as much. So I sure. apologize. I have to take care of them sometimes. No, that's fine. I'm just saying we haven't seen you in a while. Um, but Nate's here. Uh, we also have Dusty joining us. Dusty, you were your last one. Well, you were on the Apple. That I was. I'm going to be able to defend until the end of my days. And you're also on The Evil Within, which was our uh, bizarro <laughs> horror film. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> and that, that movie sure was a set of moving pictures. It was. <laughs> you're going to defend the apple and yeah, I will. Like, turn your nose up at The Evil Within. Heart. <laughs> yeah, well, The Evil Within had everything. Yeah. All right. All right, and uh, our hardcore horror junkie uh, joining us once again, uh, David. Hello. I, I, well, thank you for having me back. Yeah. All right, so uh, we can launch into this here. Uh, I, you know, I, there's some other like background information, but I think it's just stuff that can kind of come up as we go along. So I'll just say, uh, what do we make of Nightbreed? Uh, it was interesting. Um, I am torn between wanting a sequel and not wanting a sequel, but apparently it's there, there is a part two in comic form, I believe. Mm. So I am tempted to, to read through that because I, I don't know. I just, I, while I mixed on it, I don't feel like it's finished obviously. So I kind of want to see where it goes. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd, I'd say my experience was a lot of the same, where it was, there were so many moments that I thought would have been really cool. They're like, oh, this is law. It just is. Move on. Um, the laws? I have no idea what the laws are. They are mentioned constantly. I cannot tell you a single <laughs> law. And, no, they well, believe yeah, the, it. The they law... have, still have no idea what it is. So. The law Ooh, aspects... People, uh... is... oh, go ahead, Tavita. I was going to say eating people is apparently against the law. That's a clear one. I think it's eating people above ground because oh, I think oh. there there were stipulations or there's times where it's okay and times where it's not. I I don't know. So here's here's the weird thing. I I've, I've never read a whole lot of Barker. Uh I think the only thing I've actually read is the Hellbound Heart which was the, you know, uh original novella for Hellraiser, which I only read that like last Halloween. So, I mean, he's somebody that I should oh. dig into some of his stuff. I've seen, you know, numerous movies by him or, you know, inspired by his works or whatever. But um, so I don't know how it is approached in his book, but it was very much striking me that he was cribbing aspects from the island of Dr. Moreau, not necessarily the, you know, well, it wouldn't have been the Marlon Brando thing because that came like 96, but just the original story and if you've never read The Island of Dr. Moreau or seen a version, in that you have this mad scientist at the center of everything, and he's there on an island, a secluded area, and he's ha- created these creations of like man-human hybrid, or not hybrids, but he basically took Chimeras. animals and made them, made them man-like. And so you don't really have a, Moreau, a central Moreau figure here, although the Decker character we'll get into is representative of like man. 
and uh, kind of has the focus of like hostilities. But what you do have is you have this like priest-like character, which Island of Dr. Moreau has. And they talk about the law in both constantly and all the animal hybrids have to like live by the law. And they're constantly saying like, we, we cannot break the law. So he's just like pulling whole cloth from that. But as these guys are saying, it's not really explained exactly. Well, and then you have all the monster cre- creations, uh, creatures, which are very similar to the Moreau creations. But yeah, the law aspects are not really fully explained. So if you know Moreau, it's kind of like, oh, it seems like a reference or a riff on that. But if you don't know Moreau, you're even more just like, huh, what? I mean, I enjoy the movie. It, it's this weird gothy movie. Um, I mean, that that's how I would, uh, that's how I would uh, refer to it. It's a uh, more of a goth movie like the uh, Crow or something, though not as good. Where it's just, is it horror? There's a lot of action. Is it action? You're saying uh, it's more of a goth movie than The Crow? No, 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 no. I'm saying okay. it's it's in that same realm where it's gotcha. just it's not quite horror. It's not quite action, but it it's it very much appeals to a certain dynamic. Um, and then when it comes to the law and all of that. I, like Dusty has mentioned, it, it there's a lot of tell don't show in this, and it, I just feel like this was supposed. It feels like it fe- feels like the a good first episode or pilot episode. You know, an hour and a half long pilot episode for an ongoing TV show. I'm gonna go ahead and disagree with your comparison to The Crow, and say <laughs> I had so much more little monsters vibe out of this than anything oh no no, Even no, no. The i blue was saying dude weird with the, genre. With the horns there was a blue dude yeah. with the horns and i'm like howie mandel i felt little monsters more than anything no i i i i meant i i didn't mean it was like the crow in story or anything just in the Style way it and melded, vibe and everything yeah it, it melded genres like in a weird way crew that sort of thing I I don't speak for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a really good point because at times it definitely feels like everyone just got together and was like, guys, why don't we just make a movie for Tim Burton? He's been working so hard. Let's just <laughs> do this for him. It's all for um, you, Tim. Yeah, so uh, was that an Omen reference? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, for myself, like, I, I think it's kind of a mixed bag. I I think there's some good stuff in here. I think my, like, my comment was that it was messy, but it has fun stuff. Um, I will say I watched the original, you know, six, seven years ago or something after having not seen it. Like, I had been aware of it for years. It had been on my list. Finally watched it. And, you know, I ended up rating it, like, two stars just because I didn't think it was just – it just wasn't successful to me. It wasn't that there weren't things I didn't like, but just I didn't think, like, the total package was, like, successful. I will say, having watched the director's cut, I think it is better. I don't – I think it's still messy. Um, and there's issues we can get into coming up and things that, I, you know, I noted for myself of, like, how I think it could be better handled or approached. But I think the director's cut – 
allowed some things to breathe and from reading some synopses of the how the original function like it seems like some stuff was just kind of left real floaty out there of like wait how do these people know each other and then in this version it's like they they clear that up so you at least have a better like footing of like where characters are and how they interact with each other and things like that so yeah that's kind of where i land is that like it's it's interesting um but yeah it's it's not something that i like love or embrace or anything i i felt like at times there was definitely tonal problems like i mean you've got this scary red tentacled like dude and he's chasing he, he after he bites uh aaron and chases him out he yells y'all come back now you hear like hillbilly like yeah. beverly hillbillies just screams at beverly hillsbilly thinking i'm like wait a minute huh like has did they have a tv down there because it seems like they should have a tv down there <laughs> and it seemed really odd of of them to, to kind of pull that out of there yeah there's like two or three moments where that happens like one one who yells there goes the neighborhood yes 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 and it, it, yeah there's I think there is a lot of weird total stuff going on, and I hate to say it, I blame Danny Elfman. You know, yeah, the music really I, does I saw you that. blaming Danny Elfman, and how dare you? First of all, how dare you? <laughs> you know what? John Williams wouldn't have had this issue. <laughs> well, John Williams wouldn't have done this project, so he wouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I wonder how, I just wonder how Danny Elfman got involved in it, but from that opening chord, I'm like, oh, Batman, we're watching Batman, and it's like, oh, whoever likes this really loves Danny Elfman, and then I saw his name come up, and it's like, well, here we are, I guess. I will say, Dusty here is out here shitting on primetime Danny Elfman, like the best years of Danny Elfman, not not current era Danny Elfman, where it's like, yeah, I don't know, it's it's not quite as good as it used to be. Um, I, I do want to say, you know, I, I know you, you said you thought like the score didn't quite match what was going on, on screen. I didn't have that feeling, but I, I can understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I did want to make a note because I missed this earlier. So Elfman did do the score, but also for any soundtrack junkies out there, it was orchestrated by the great Shirley Walker. Shirley Walker often like uh, conducted orchestrated Elfman stuff like earlier in his career and she went on to work extensively on Batman the Animated Series and various oh. other... Um, oh, David, I'm surprised you don't know. Yeah, look up Shirley Walker. She's great. Uh, okay. But yeah, she, she worked on numerous um, soundtracks, scores, and things. Um, she unfortunately died like fairly young. I mean, she's like in her like early 60s, but she was kind of just emerging as her own composer um, at, you know, at that period. But yeah, so Shirley Walker is uh, tied to this as well. Before we get going any further, I think it makes sense to probably at least give a little overview of the plot before we start talking about, like, guys with <laughs> moon heads and shit. Um, so the, the, the plot such that it is, is that there is a secret city. Um, essentially, a, it's a graveyard, but it's like a city-sized graveyard that has all of these like columns and mausoleums and stuff, but it says has like an up upground portion and an underground portion. And so you have all these monsters who live there. They never really explain exactly what the night breed are, which are the monsters. It's kind of uh, its own mythos. Um, they don't go into it explicitly. We can raise some theories coming up, but they're, 
they all look different. They all have like different things they can do. Um, it seemingly can be transferred from monster to human, but it's not clear if like that's how they all become Nightbreed. Or I mean, it, it also some of them seem I think can be born that way based on the presence of some children. So there's like some mythology that's kind of hanging out there. But you've got some uh, great special effects in like the makeuping and um, and, and like other practical effects, which we can talk about. We're following this character named Boone, Aaron Boone, and he has a girlfriend and he has seen a psychiatrist who is played by David Cronenberg, who is Dr. Philip Decker. And so they're kind of like central characters on the non-nightbreed side. Boone's been having like dreams and visions of the Nightbreed and Decker has been treating him. We find out more about Decker. We can address that coming up. But uh, So we, we find out some stuff about Decker, but eventually Boone it ends up in Midian, gets confronted by some of the Nightbreed, is bitten, and then dies, and then is like reborn because he got, you know, Nightbreed juice in him or whatever and now he is this unholy undead thing the the kind of idea behind this is the monsters are our good guys that's that's what barker is attempting to do it's been done elsewhere um you know we've had focuses on monsters and making them sympathetic i mean you can go back even to like the original frankenstein particularly you know the 30s version you know more so than the book and stuff um, but here, like Barker is very much focused on making the monsters our heroes, our good guys, and humanity is being depicted as it's basically all torches and pitchforks, kind of like anyone human outside of the girlfriend is pretty much that. So that's kind of what you're working with. The plot is a little loosey-goosey and odd at times, so we can definitely dive into that. But yeah, uh, from there, wherever anybody wants to go. So the plot with Decker as a because it starts off with the uh, a vision that Boone has of the Nightbreed, one of his nightmares, but then it cuts to a masked serial killer who could be one of the Nightbreed. We don't know what the hell's a Nightbreed. Yeah, um, killing a family, and eventually that's revealed to be Decker, and he's an evil psychiatrist who's blaming his serial murders on Boone. And then his, his motivation is revealed to also be he wants to kill all the Nightbreed. So he's yeah. known about them somehow, uh, which is confusing because we don't find out anything of that. And then in the theatrical version, we see him – in both versions, you see him die. Um, in the theatrical one, he comes back at the end as the uh, – as your – you know, teaser, stinger, scare, like, bah! like in, um, like Freddy Krueger at the very end of Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street one, which that director, uh, Wes Craven didn't want that to happen, but you have to set up the sequel. Whereas, um, he does die finally in the, uh, director's cut, but that's a whole ass movie in and of itself. And they spend a lot of time on that. At the cost, especially in the theatrical, but also, yes, a lot in the uh, director's cut, they they sacrifice a good amount of time that they could spend 
introducing us uh, into the world of Midian and those monsters. And, I mean, I, I wanted more of that. Well, it's like Midian was our A story, uh, and the, uh, the the psychiatrist was like the B story, but then they really focused a lot on the B story when they really should have focused on the A story. Yeah. Well, I, I was I'll, sold I'll on def- this. <laughs> I'll defend them, though. For me, and I think a lot of people, Decker is the best part of the movie. <laughs> like, I think David Cronenberg, David Cronenberg, director of The Fly, uh, The Brood, um, Videodrome, many other movies, he plays Decker, and he is, like, as David was saying, a psychiatrist who's also, like, a secretly a serial killer, blaming the murders on Boone or try, uh, attempting to... As far I could be wrong to be, but I thought he only wanted to kill the Nightbreed once he learned of their existence. But I think even then, my question was like, why? What the fuck does yeah. he care? Because he's like, a destroyer. <laughs> but but so but he wears a really cool, creepy, like kind of burlap, looks like homemade type mask with buttons and stuff. But for me. For me, he's the best part of the movie. Like I, I think he, I think David Cronenberg has a ridiculously good screen presence, and makes me wonder like why he didn't do more prominent acting in horror. Right? He occasionally would pop up in some stuff, but yeah, I, I don't know. So like, I, I understand where you're coming from. Like the movie is called Nightbreed. Theoretically, you should be focusing solely on them. Do you need this serial killer subplot? I don't know. But for me, he's the he's the part that kind of shines through as like, ah, yeah, I like this. Well, I, I mean, I'm not saying you, you you need to get rid of it, but I, I don't think there was a good balance where you're you don't. There's too many questions left open about the Nightbreed, the whole tit, the whole title, the Nightbreed. You just don't know anything that's really going on there. It's just like, and, oh, they just exist. Now, I mean, I would I would argue that. Maybe we're supposed to infer that some of them are vampires, some of them are zombies, some of them are werewolves, in a sense. But even then, none of them really fleshed out any of those tropes or monster types. Uh, but they do kind of touch on it, like how you kill them. Some of them can be killed that way, some of them can't be. And I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it was, it was just weird. It, it, like not knowing anything about them. On the Cronenberg bit, uh, honestly, I think I, w- I would have enjoyed this being two separate movies. I I really want to see Cronenberg as a serial killer. Mm. And I really want to see a Nightbreed movie. <laughs> um, and then, yes, what the Nightbreed are is a huge question at the end because you see those elements of several different kinds of monsters. Yeah, they uh, the like at one point a guy, Decker is torturing an old guy who's aware of the Nightbreed, and he's asking how you kill them, and he says, "Oh, different kinds of ways," and he says some of them can be killed by sunlight, which we see certain ones that are being wounded by that. He says some by bullets. So as Nate, as you're saying, like possibly a werewolf kind of thing, or just people can be killed by bullets. So maybe some of the Nightbreed just aren't anything special. And then I think he mentions fire, and that's usually used for a lot of monsters, you know, cleansing fire and stuff like that. But yeah, it's the 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 mythology and how exactly the Nightbreed function. I mean, you want some mystery. You you don't want necessarily everything spelled out. And as I think Dusty, you had noted of uh, you know stuff being way too expositiony anyway of like and and just telling you a lot of things. 
But even so, like, it's one thing if you're walking into a movie and it's like, all right, I'm seeing vampires, I'm seeing zombies, and the audience has certain expectations. But here we're seeing the Nightbreed, and we don't know anything about them. And so we're creating new monsters, and then we get this sort of mishmash of elements of vampires, elements of Dr. Moreau, elements of other... And then they they look all kinds of different... Some of them look like Cronenberg creations uh, or Rick and Morty-style Cronenbergs. Uh, like there's one guy that's got like his head in his stomach and just like waddling around places. And so you got like this real mishmash of like styles. In the movie's defense, though, I will say... A lot of it, I mean, maybe it makes sense to address this now. A lot of it looks fucking fantastic. Like, it's it looks great. And that's Real cool what draws effect. a lot of people to this, I think. Drives me nuts about that. Like, if all of them have just normal names like Carl and, like, Fran, it's just like, <laughs> fucking stick with well, that. That's cool as hell. <laughs> well, so, some of them, I mean, there's there's Peliquin, which, you yeah. know, that that's not too normal. And then there's another one that was uh, Narcissi. Um, and then, and then, but yeah, the, the, the religious leader is Dirk Lylesberg, which does sound like, uh, you know, it's like doing like a Leonard Skinner cover band or something. Right. But Um, the thing is you've got like these weird names and then you've got Rachel and then you've got like other, like Babette was her, her daughter. It's like, those are fairly normal names. I mean, Babette's not as much anymore, but I mean, it was at one point and, but then all these other ones are just like, well, it's again, it's it's not picking a lane, you know, where you're like, uh, you know, I want to be a little, uh, I, I want to be a little weird, but then I want to have Carl over there who's just, just got his eyes that come out of his stomach and wrap around his neck, you know, D- that's it. But <laughs> I do love that uh, Onaka is a nice weird name. But that's the guy who's just uh, got a little puppy and a couple of tattoos. Yeah, and... the one that looks what's, like What's normal. the deal with that guy? So all the Nightbreed, like, they all look like monsters. Some of them have tentacles and stuff. There's one lady that Nate mentioned who's just presented as kind of like a Romani type, and she looks normal. But they say she's a shapeshifter, but she never shifts shapes from what I understand. But her daughter She was does. missed at one point. Um, okay. But but so like but basically the Nightbreed all have like stuff messed up on their faces or something in a very kind of like Star Trek TV makeup. I mean it looks good, but like it's just like oh we'll add this and that that'll do it. And then some of them are just like full blown crazy creatures. But yeah, there's just this one dude who's just like has close cropped hair, wears some kind of like weird necklace, has tattoos, and carries around a little dog. And I was like. What's his deal? Oh, he's just human. I, I actually know this. He's he's just there for the Red Hot Chili Peppers cover band. Yes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no, 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 no. I thought he was the uh, he's the lead singer for Live. He's in his <laughs> better deeper. <laughs> he's in his co- <laughs> he's in his outfit for uh, the I Alone video. Oh god damn it! So him, him, and then Rachel, and then Rachel's daughter were the only normal looking ones. I mean, minus when Rachel, when Babette was out in the sun. Yeah, Rachel, Rachel's daughter became Rat Girl, which is a right. very mm-hmm. fucked up moment of the movie. That was a beautifully done moment. You have this creepy, horrible, obviously in pain creature, and then you see her transform back into a human. So it's the opposite of what you would normally do in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Like normally in a hor- horror movie, it's the transformation of a human especially a little girl into a monster would be like oh no and this is the opposite but it's still done in 
a very uh very upsetting and explicit creepy way like you see it cuts away then cuts back to her and she's a little bit more human with messed up eyes and it's some great puppetry there and that's oh, yeah. when rebecca walked in while i was watching this and she's like what are you watching and i'm like well this woman this girl it's not what you think this. <laughs> this girl was a rat before this so i mean this is an improvement yeah <laughs> oh man yeah it's i i think that that's a really good point that there's just so much that happens with the night breed. It's like, I want to know their names. I want to know what their powers are. I want to know what all of their things are. And it must've really sucked day three into filming when everyone turned to each other and said, I don't think we need David Cronenberg here. I think we might I want him to stay, but I think we made a huge mistake. <laughs> Who is like the devil looking one? Who's not devilish at all in personality. The devil-looking one. We know, I don't, he has a name. I don't think his name is ever actually used. Are you talking about mm. red, the red tentacle dude or the actual No, blue? there's a different guy. There's the like blue, a guy the one who's that... like, got like a bluish purple face. Right, but with he the horns. has like devilly horns. Uh, yeah, no. I that's think the guy that up. I said was like, was like Little yeah. Monsters. So that, that's yeah, what I, that reminded me of Little Monsters. I was reading uh, Jack Kirby's The Eternals recently. And it in it, there's the Deviants, who are an underground race, mm. who look monstrous, and each one looks different. And in that, they ex- in Kirby's The Eternals, where everything is exposition always, they explain, we are the ones who humans created their devil myths off of. All the monsters are us. That that doesn't happen here, but you get the same vibe, kind of. There's there's breeze. a little bit of an attempt at that, at least in the director's cut, because I don't know if it's in the original. But there's um, an explanation. There's a flashback when I think the girl shows up. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, Nightbreed sort of explains. It, it's either the girl or when Boone is being introduced to stuff. But explains that, like, you know, the Nightbreed throughout the centuries had been, you know, on the fringes of society sort of thing. And that they were, like, myth and they were killed. And it's basically, like, playing off of, like, humanity's fears of fictitious creatures, werewolves, vampires and stuff. But they show, like, Nightbreed being slaughtered by the dozens and stuff. So, like, they, they make some kind of an attempt to be like the Nightbreed have been here since forever, but that's about as much as they do. Yeah. And then there's then there's Baphomet, who is their devil god, sort of, who's like kind of chained up for some reason, <laughs> or or just fixed in place. I never really got the Baphomet stuff. They, they do have a, a god of kind of sorts. Yeah, I mean, I think in Skyrim, the idea of like a um a living god that just stays in one place is something that I could accept a little better, but it, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it kind of makes sense in its own way. It's compared to everything else I'm, that I had questions it's a about. Cool, it's a cool, it's a cool look and set yeah. piece. Oh, I just don't know how it yeah. all functions. Baphomet looks amazing, but I mean, and you get a lot more of this. You get a lot more of Nightbreed in uh, the director's cut just in general um you get more of baphomet and the big conversation with uh with boone slash cabal 
um, in the director's cut, which we all watched. But um, the, so because in the, in the original cut, it's just you were supposed to either save us or destroy us. And it's destroy us, which, you know, that line stayed. But then with Baphomet in this, Baphomet's basically like, you have to find me later on. And you have to get all the Nightbreed together and find a new home for us. And then you can find me and you can be the new savior. That's Baphomet why you're apparently here. apparently talks like uh, Bob Ross. Uh, yeah. You need to find and him. Well, and that's one of those things where I'm like, the, I remember in both versions when they bring up the prophecy, my response was, what prophecy? <laughs> like, yeah. what prophecy are you talking about? At least in the director's cut, they explain it slightly, and it's still, the hell are you talking about? Also, at the end of uh, the director's cut, all of the Nightbreed are in a barn, like all of the survivors, all like 12 of them, or standing in a barn, like, he's going to come for us, right? Yeah, yeah, he's going to come save us. And then it cuts back Krusty over to coming. him. Krusty is coming. And then it comes, cuts back over to him making out with his girlfriend, which several times in this movie they linger on just a little bit too long. The, the choice is made. It's not a kiss. It's not a passionate movie kiss. It's, they're, they're making out. They're making out, not. Well, Clive <laughs> Clive Bar Clive Barker does enjoy his horror sex, so this is really him holding back. Yeah. yeah. Oh, when he's on drugs and when he's on drugs and hallucinating, him and his girlfriend having sex across the room. Real life Boone sitting there. That is some of the best acting I have ever seen. The the looks that he has on his face. I, I I see that and I go, I've made those looks while I was high on drugs, allegedly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, some of this is, uh, aside from David's drug use, is getting into some areas Alleged. of like what is what like what possibly could be some problems with it. So I want to throw out a couple things that, like I said, I'd only seen this one time before, but my biggest things in watching it is I feel like the lead lacks all charisma. And so that hurts it. I mean, I, I think David Cronenberg is the biggest draw for me, not just because his character looks cool and is interesting, but David Cronenberg has charisma in this movie and is interesting on screen. Our lead is just, I'm sorry to say for me, just very flat and like nothing like the, it, like you could have put a lot of other actors in there I'm not saying they could have saved this movie, but you need some kind of center um, of a, a character that we're like, you know, drawn to. And I, and this guy ain't it, but not just him. I feel the biggest thing is this movie needs stakes. Like, like before uh, Boone gets to the Nightbreed, he's like a guy being troubled by dreams. Okay. And he has a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist is like, oh, you've actually been murdering people in secret. And, you know, really, it's the psychiatrist is trying to, like, trick him into, you know, taking the blame for it. But we're already on this kind of, like, weird footing of, like, wait, is he a killer? Is he not? And then he just kind of gets whisked up into the Nightbreed. 
he doesn't really like what does Boone want when this like as any movie should open with we should know here's here's what this character desires and they're trying to go through these stages to get it I don't know what he wants other than to not have committed murder which we find out real early on that he didn't but then more problematic is I don't think the I, what do the Nightbreed want most of the movie were just kind of hanging out with the Nightbreed. There's no dramatic tension. I mean, uh, near the end, cops start showing up and the Nightbreed are being attacked. And then it's like, okay, well, now we're, we have a battle. But for like an hour and a half of a two-hour movie, it's just sort of like, hey, here's the Nightbreed. They're cool monsters. Been here since the dawn of time. I don't know. Want to hang out with them? All right. And so that's kind of, that's that loose structure of like, there's no through line of we're not locked in. I mean, David, you mentioned like the prophecy. That's that's something that you could have had built in from the beginning of like, oh, there's this prophecy and it's going to go somewhere. We need to, the night breed, you know, the, the moon is in the right stage with Saturn or some shit and something's going to happen tonight. Something where it's like the night breed are expecting something or the night breed are, another note I had was like, um, it needs to be the night breed against the world. Which it kind it is by the end, but like I felt like it should be kind of like an Edward Scissorhands when the whole town turns on him. Like you kind of need to get that vibe of like that the Nightbreed are like constantly trying to evade stuff, or maybe they have to go into the human world and they're like maybe there's a group that's always after them, or it's just there needs to be something happening that drives us forward. But there's not. It's just we have a lot of scenes where characters are just doing stuff. And I think that's the biggest uh, issue for me. The entirety of the, uh, I mean, the last half hour action sequence was good. Uh, it, it's a whole lot of fun. I, I, maybe it's because of uh, everything that's going on these days. I did note, wow, the, the sheriff sure did go, we're going to kill these people that are different. Let's get in everyone in town who has a gun. And they're handing out, like, Tommy guns, grenade launchers, and rifles to civilians. Oh, going, don't let's the go. the dude who was arming them is licking his garrote because he's so, like, horny for guns and weapons. Like, yeah. we're talking straight up right militia stuff that, I mean, yeah. I was getting full on, whoa, this is a little bit right-wing sociopath territory. So. And yeah, then I, got, they did later go on to storm the Capitol. That is in the cabal did. cut. Yeah. <laughs> would have, would have. Yeah, would but have. they they uh, we could have seen that they were from the nearest town. We could have seen a little bit more of that. Um, I mean the the sheriff takes it awfully well that uh, he's got a dead guy in his cell when they find out that uh, Boone doesn't have a uh, a pulse. He just walks right in. He's like, what the hell are you doing bringing a dead guy into my cells? He's he's the walking dead. It's just, okay, so is this something you've dealt with before? Seemed like, do you, it, do you seemed like this know was old about? hat. Yeah, is this old hat for you or not? I mean, the, the priest comes out of nowhere. Also, why is his... His cell is unlocked. They walk past his cell, and he says something, and they're like, shut up, close the cell door. What? Why is he just hanging in there? Drunk, he was in there as a drunk tank. That's what they kind of mentioned. But still. But they would have closed the damn... Anyhow. No, um, I, I guess all this goes to the the 
right back to the I, there's a lot of there's a lot of choices made in this movie and we don't know why I don't understand why Boone even believes that he's done murders because we open on one of his dreams and it's cats it is 2020 cats with demons <laughs> running around <laughs> doing flips and shit and then stopping at the gates doing cat shit and <laughs> porcupine she's Look, a porcupine she needs to be in the movie yes. Much oh more God, too, because yes. they 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 put a lot of effort into her costume, and she is not in the movie no. nearly enough. But but yeah, there. but if that's the dream you're having, I mean, it, it's not a dream. I think all of us have had, but that's not a dream that screams "I murder" on the weekend. Yeah, uh, Cronenberg says, or Decker says, I've got tapes of you describing these murders. Do you? Because and he's like, you describe the people and their faces and their houses. Does he? Because we've seen an example. And that's not that. Well, and he, he actually tries to, he goes, let me listen to it. And he goes, no, 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 you can't hear it. You can't hear it. <laughs> no, no, it's the, it's the opposite. Decker goes, do you want to listen to the tapes? And that's, and Boone knocks the, the, the uh, tape player out of his hand and goes, no, I'm going to run away. <laughs> well, not even no, I'm going to run away. It's no, I'm going to be all upset. And then uh, Decker goes, you know, you, you're you a serial killer who's killed 15 people in the last 10 months. I'm going to give you 24 hours <laughs> and some pills because that's how that works. Um, but when it comes to Boone's charisma, he's like a cross between uh, the guy in Lost Boys and David Borneas in the mm-hmm. Buffy TV show. Yeah. He's like, if you mix them and extract, uh, yeah, if you mix them, basically, with even less charisma. Like, Craig Sheffer, who's the guy who plays the lead, he, I thought he was in a show called Pensacola Wings of Gold. He wasn't. But he seems like one of those guys who's on a midnight syndicated show that maybe six divorced dads watch every night. And it's just, when I saw he was the lead, the first thing I thought was just, Why? Yeah, he. Uh, I, I looked him up because he he has been in a couple other things. Uh, I wanted to see. Um, he was in uh, Fire in the Sky. Was probably oh. the, the the thing that popped out at me. Really? Um, he was also in the program, uh, which was like kind of a big you know movie of its day about like football. Let me yeah. check. Uh, Fire in the Sky. Yeah, he's Fire in the Sky. He is no no no. Okay, so he's one of the, like the he's not the lead. Uh, he's one of the friends in Fire in the Sky, so he has like a secondary role in that. And then you know he's in some you know various other movies, some stuff I've heard of. But yeah, I, I don't know that he was ever in anything like super big. He kind of had like maybe like a small period there. But yeah, I mean I know we're like railing on this guy, but look, he's not doing the movie any favors. Yeah, no, and he was, he was him as cool. an actor, and then honestly Boone as a character, as you mentioned. He, we have no we have no reason for anything he does and then in a movie that's filled with amazing looking monsters he looks like Grimes's new back tattoo <laughs> well for he gets he gets bitten by the nightbreed and his like wound gets all like messed up looking and then the nightbreed accept him in and he's just himself and so for like for a lot of the movie and so I was like 
does he just never transform? Because it had been a while since I saw it. And I was like, are they going to really just like let us down that he's just a human-looking dude like the guy with the poodle? Um, but eventually we find out he can kind of like make like, I don't know, Weird. tribal tattoo-looking stuff on his face. And then also, he, you know, the French bulldog. Uh, yeah, I, I knew it wasn't really that. I was just throwing out something for humor. But thanks for ruining it. Um, but yeah, so he, he gets this kind of like funny. <laughs> he gets this like messed up stuff on his face, and then he also like looks animalistic. But yeah, I mean, he you're looks right, a little like, like Marv from. Uh, he looked a little like Marv from uh, Sin City. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, all the other Nightbreed, they're like going all out and our lead, I mean, I, I, my thinking is they probably, it's like, well, we can't hide this guy. He's too good and handsome. Um, but they're wrong about yeah. that on both counts. Yeah, that feels like a studio note where it's it's either that or the, the makeup artist showed up and was like, guys, I'm out of latex and spirit gum. I don't know what the fuck we're going to do. Oh. It's the same reason why superhero movies always have them take off their masks, I guess. <laughs> I, he, he, and this was a superhero origin movie, right? Yeah, essentially. Uh, a little. Kind, kind of. Like, he's got super strength. He's more, he's, he's more like, he's more like Monster Jesus, though. I mean, I, yeah. I wouldn't go as far to say super strength. I think he's got, like, a little extra strength, and most of his power got, comes from gun. <laughs> He's got the strength of one and a half weeks. <laughs> he has the strength of two Cronenbergs. <laughs> but oh God, I look and I think there, there is there, we we, we and talked a good bit. Uh, uh, we've talked about the makeup. I do just want to throw that out here because my uh, name for this today is uh, is Mac tonight. Because there is a character <laughs> who has a literal moon head. Like, like if you remember back the old McDonald's commercials from the 80s and 90s where there was a guy with a crescent moon for a head and sunglasses who was named Mac Tonight. They took most of the designs of this movie look fantastic. And even this guy is like well executed for what they're trying to do. But he's also real silly because they took Mac Tonight of like a crescent shaped moon head and then they like squished it down of like, how can we make this look semi plausible? And so he still has like this jutting out skull thing. And then he has this Jay Leno chin. Um, so he's kind of the uh, the silliest character, I feel. So I had to uh, I had to note him. But Dusty, uh, you had something you're going to say? Um, yeah, it's like I know we're shitting a lot on the movie for a lot of these things but it's like the the core or at least the core goals of what they were shooting for it definitely feels like a movie that if you pitched it to a studio in the 80s completely honestly they never would have made this it, it feels like the sort of thing that you kind of had to lie to get it started and then once the yeah. studio started seeing it that's when you started getting a lot of these weird fucking decisions and it it has heart mm-hmm like you, you can tell that, or especially in the director's cut, you can tell that they wanted to go places with it. Uh, the the end sets up. You had mentioned they wanted this, or uh, Barker wanted this to be uh, the horror Star Wars, and you see the setup. Uh, he's he's got to find a new paradise for the uh, for the Nightbreed. The 
priest character is now a night breed who hates them and wants to kill them. Um, it's they do set up. And, De- and Decker is now a night breed at the end because he gets re- in in the in the original version, not the director's cut. But yeah, uh, in the in, in the original version, Decker is reanimated uh, with night breed blood or with uh, Baphomet blood. Right. And so he would presumably transform if they were to do some kind of sequel with that. Yeah. Well, but then in the director's cut, instead of Decker doing that, it's the priest doing that, which is way more interesting. Yeah. But I, well, but the well, no, the priest gets transformed in the original too, right? Because he's the yeah, one. Yeah, the priest still... is there when he re, when he when he when Decker gets uh, reanimated. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I watch I watch the clip online of Me Decker too. being mm-hmm. brought back. And it's the priest who does it, and the priest is all night breeded up at that point. So it's basically well, like they create two villains at by the end in in the original. I, I, but in I the original, he's more we went that direction. Yeah, I, I didn't what, get what why we went, I didn't get why we went that direction with the priest. It seemed like everything was setting up the priest to say, you know what, these are the good guys here. What, he right. takes off his collar. He's defending them. He's telling everybody to stop doing this, and then all of a sudden, he's like. Oh, now I want to try to bless the water or something, and Baphomet's gonna hate my guts, and now I hate them all. And it was like it just seemed like it didn't make sense where that they were going with that character. There was a leap. Yeah. Well, look, he wanted he wanted to help the Nightbreed. He didn't want to be the Nightbreed. Yeah. That's probably the best thing I could come up with of what their goal with that was, but. Look, sometimes you do mission work in Los Angeles. Sometimes you got to go save the Nightbreed. It's you don't you don't know where <laughs> God sends you. Right. I spent uh, as part of my time being quiet was spending a minute the the Moon Dude, and I know where this is terrible to do in a visual doing a visual thing in a podcast, but the Moon Dude is a guy. F- oh, that's not going to work well. Hold on. Um, oh, I know oh, is that the guy from Lazy Town? Lazy Town. <laughs> It was basic. Okay, oh, so... he's Robbie Rotten. Yeah, yeah, he was Robbie Rotten from Lazy Town. You're, you're I mean, not saying it's the same actor. You're saying he looks like that. Right? Oh, it looks almost. Yeah. It looks de- pretty I mean, dead ringer. Yeah. It looks pretty dead on, and it's a children's show, and I I still don't understand this children's show that my kids have watched like very little of, but I was always very disturbed by it. But no, Moon Dude looked like Robbie Rotten. So if you, yeah, listeners, look up Robbie Rotten. Or just look up Moon Dude. Yeah. Uh, you can look, look up, up both. Not, nothing bad will come from that. No. Uh, his name is uh, Kinski. He's played by Nicholas Vince. Like Klaus Kinski, only not. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen Klaus Kinski as Moon Dude in this. Honestly, I, I kind of wish I could see just Klaus Kinski. He fits in without makeup. Yes, just, it's it, true. <laughs> Yeah, he would have um, also but, played a good Decker. Yeah, the uh, I I I was really interested in in the story of the Nightbreed, and I did not get any of that. Yeah, it's it's so weird that for for a movie that has such an, an overdone premise of what if man and monster, huh, <laughs> is is done like the way that they're doing it is is really really interesting. And I think I think one of the things that really threw me too is especially with the main knowledge that I have of Clive Barker as Hellraiser, 
And so going into this, I'm expecting a Gorathon and just like not holding back. And it feels like so much is being held back here. Ooh. One of the first, like first note I wrote when I was watching it was in the, uh, in the uh, serial killer uh, murder of the family. I'm like, all right, let, we're starting off with some good gore. And then an hour later, I had a note of, so there's like no gore in this. Yeah. Like you get that, and then you get the guy starting to cut off his uh his the skin around his face. Yeah. You you see that start, and then later you just see him with the monster makeup on, and it's just it's not a gory movie. Yeah. It's just really cool monster designs yeah. on ninety yeah. well, percent of them. And if and if you're listening to this, it might you know make it sound with the different versions and everything. It might make it sound like oh, did the studio hold him back? And not really i mean the studio changed stuff kind of after the fact but from my reading of this um barker had a couple of adaptations of some of his earlier work like rawhead rex which i've never seen and a different one oh it's great uh it's it's on my list but so he did there's that one that uh he may have written the script for i think he did and then a different one but he didn't like how they ultimately were translated and so that encouraged him to get into actually like doing the films himself which i think led to both hellraiser and this and this is him like fully in charge of the production and he has way more money than he had on hellraiser so they like they were looking at hellraiser they had a hit and they're like all right clive barker he's you know a a fairly big horror writer now it's like you know stephen king kind of like level of like importance in the horror world at the time um so yeah i mean they were kind of like I mean, $11 million isn't, like, a massive budget, but for a project like this at the time, it's decent, and you can clearly see where that money was spent in, like, the production design and the monsters and everything. Uh-huh. So, yeah, he was not... It's not like his vision was, was like, quashed, because, I mean, obviously it ultimately was not released in the format that he wanted, but, yeah, once you watch the director's cut and that's, like, essentially what he wanted or as close as possible, I think you guys are right, like... Yeah, it's not a gory movie. I don't think it necessarily has to be. It, you know, it, it's like I said, it's like a more of like a horror fantasy, but still, all right. If we're not going to be a straight up horror movie, it'd be good if you were clear on everything else. Like yeah. if you were telling a story that was kind of coherent. Yeah, I think the one place where it really could have been beneficial to kind of ramp up the gore would have been the the final fight towards the end. And like like David said, I think a lot of, at least part of it for me is like, I really want some ACAB catharsis coming in here. And if we're sending a bunch of fucking cops to go against the people that we love, yeah, let's get some goddamn gore in here and let's get their comeuppance. But I think the other kind of side effect though is that it makes the Nightbreed's powers look that much less interesting and if all of it's going to be as like, ah, porcupine pokes, or I, I have these two hands in my things, and they'll just like kind of poke your eyes. And it's it, it feels like more should be happening. And it just, it especially with that final fight scene, it looks like they spent most of their money on pyrotechnics when they should have been using it for the kind of visceral one-on-one. I would agree. I mean, the, the most you get out of that is when the berserkers get loose. Yeah. And it's oh. like, and those... Again, now we we since we have no set of rules anywhere, like uh, to to kind of understand where they all come from, we're just like, oh, these are just the crazies, uh, that you know, let's just let them loose. And it's like, but wh- huh? I mean, they're just gonna indiscriminately kill everything and anybody, and it just I don't know. You mentioned the lack of rules. 
So the entire time, uh, you have um, Narcy, I believe, the guy with the um, with the small finger ring knives that cut off uh, most of his own uh, head skin. And in the beginning, he's like, I was born Nightbreed, and I want to be part of the Nightbreed. And if they accept me, great. And if not, they'll kill me. Take me to Midian. I'll show you how to get there. I can't go on my own for some reason. And then he, he's like, I have to show you what I can do, and cuts the skin off of his head in front of Boone. Oh, okay, so he's a Nightbreed. He just is one. Cool. He wasn't bitten. Then Boone gets bitten, and it's even referred to as turning. And then all of the Nightbreed keep referring to his girlfriend as a natural, so not a Nightbreed, and how she could never be a part of them. Like, they repeatedly say, oh no, she'll never fit in here, she'll never be a part of us, she'll grow old and die, there's no hope, she can't be this. She was born normal, and then apparently Boone can just vampire bite her and turn her into a a nightbreed. Which Boone was they, normal too. Uh-huh. Like they they explicitly say that when he shows yeah. up. Like, oh, you're just you're whatever. You're natural. And yeah. then they they turn him. Which makes no. Uh, but there was a prophecy about him because uh, the tentacle dude Peloton. <laughs> I know it's not Peloton. <laughs> Peliquin, yeah. I think. Peliquin, yes. He he, when he goes off on the, uh, when he goes off on the prophecy, he points to the wall and he's like, "And I turned him," and the wall is very much a drawing of Peliquin biting Boone, like that is that is what it is, and so he knew what he was doing when he did it. Like, I just drew that. It looks good, right? Yeah. It's like either he drew it after the after he did it or when that entire thing happened, the I'm going to eat him and then I'm going to bite him instead and I'm going to turn him into one of the Nightbreed. Apparently he knew he was doing that. Like that Maybe he did. He's known this story and that was all an act. I mean, I think maybe or it's, not. it's that thing where everyone's just like, looks kind of like you don't you think Pelican? he's like no it's not me it's carl listen i know we're talking about all the unbelievable things that happen but i think we're completely ignoring the most unbelievable thing this takes place in canada they're not nearly as mean i mean come on they would have been like oh you guys come up we like you here's some maple syrup wait wait this takes place in canada yeah i never noticed that you didn't know this was that was Calgary, Canada. They were uh, they, uh, when he's driving. There was this, a there was a uh, kil- kilometer sign, a speed limit, uh, kilometers per hour. Oh, I'm sorry, we didn't all catch that speed limit sign. They, they also <laughs> mentioned something else, but this was you guys didn't was, know. They you guys haven't been to downtown Calgary. They mentioned something else that also <laughs> tipped off that it was Canadian, but they were in Canada. It's like, All right. this would have made more sense if we were, like, Midwest, Midwest uh, yeah. USA. I'm just assuming it was Colorado for some reason, which I guess Calgary's the Colorado right, yeah. of Canada. <laughs> That's a good... Uh, that, we'll we'll, we'll awesome. write that down. Copyright that. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, I, we haven't even said one word about Boone's girlfriend, Lori, who, I gotta say, Ann Bobby, I think, did great with what she had. She sang that song live 
Um, there, she has like some new wave song that she sings in the '90s, and it was she did a solid job. Um, but when she, became... I kept thinking she looked like Kristen Shaw. Oh, she does. She absolutely does. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but that moment where where her and Boone are standing on the horizon, she's like, "Let me come with you," and he's like, "I'm going to use this as an opportunity, I think, to break up with you after all this is done. I'm just going to go." <laughs> I, um, you, you Look, can, uh, I, I'm I'm Nightbreed, baby, you know, and like there's this porcupine girl. I don't know, like some stuff seems to be happening. I, I dreamt about her, and she dreamt about me. Yeah, exactly. That's that's fate if I've ever heard it. I mean, that gets you immediately matched on Bumble, or so I've heard. But but yeah, but then she just like stabs herself in the stomach. That was that 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 made no sense. No, but speak speaking of death scenes. He was riddled with bullets, like to the point where he is shaking all over the place. He is being shot with with automatic weapons, and then he's on the gurney. He's got two wound, two bullet wounds, two, and he is like don't, 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 just getting laid out with bullets. Like he should have forty pounds of bullets in his body, but he's got two wounds that they just all aimed for the same two spots. Um. <laughs> But it's also good to see that cops were the same in the uh, early 90s as they were. <laughs> he gets riddled with bullets and all of that. So from uh, the main town, uh, a few hours away, all the cops from there drove all the way out to Midian and didn't contact the uh, militia cop dude, like the sheriff from the small town that's the nearest town. Yeah. Yeah, like huh. he did. He knew nothing about this. He knew nothing about this guy getting shot up. Also, uh, but th- yeah, when it comes to Lori, that she, the, the actress, did what she could. Mm-hmm. Um, with the uh, the song was nice. That I got no, I got nothing out of her and Boone interacting. Honestly, like there was no, there was no chemistry there. Um, also, the sudden friend she makes who decides to drive with her to, like, who who she cries at in a bathroom in a bar, and then they go to the cemetery the next day. Hey, want to come with me to Monster City? Do I? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Can I bring my new boyfriend who's rich and I met 10 minutes ago? That's not going to come back at all. <laughs> on the other hand, on the other hand, the little place uh like so that was ridiculous and didn't need to be in there. Um the the bit at the I think they could have cut out the entire leave uh Boone and Laurie leaving uh Midian to go back over to the uh, to the hotel. Ex- like, they could have cut that and spent more time with the... Uh, they could have cut most of that and spent more time with the, uh, with the Nightbreed and expanding that. Except that also gave us the best gore moment in the entire movie, which is um, the, the receptionist uh, there not knowing how to pick up a spilled donut. 
Yeah. And just make it was a, that a bigger. Donut? I thought it was like I, a lobster. It was like an eclair. I, <laughs> I, I, like I, I'm glad we're all confused by this because I rewound it a couple times to figure this out. So what my I believe what she drops. This woman drops this pastry on the floor, and it's just like goopy. It's it's wet material on the floor and she five second rules it she's gonna eat this thing she's not letting it go and she's like scooping it up puts it back on the table and it's like i'm coming back for this so it's it i i rewound i think it's a croissant with like cream cheese on it yeah but then there was red and, stuff too and it was chunky <laughs> yeah it was but, also and chunky the, the white she, stuff she, was chunky which is why i went lobster roll because and but she she just doesn't instead of instead of scooping or anything she just is making a bigger mess by taking out chunks and talking to a dude who might be there and then she looks up and it's just his head and that's a wonderful moment with a character that we don't know and we don't care about and a character who is uh, who is dead now that we don't know and we don't care about to be fair, there are many characters in the movie that we do know and don't care about, though. True, but I, I, back to stakes, we don't care about... I mean, most interesting things happen uh, are characters that we aren't given uh, any time with to actually want to care about. Uh, the Romani-looking woman, Rachel? Yeah. 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 Um, you get a little bit from her, but uh, she's the most dynamic. Uh, she she's the nightbreed that you get mo- the most uh, interaction with, other than Narcisse, who's made out to be an asshole, and strangely, uh, well, very rapey, queer coded for some reason. Oh, I thought he was really rapey. He he is, but also towards dudes. Well, I, mean, uh, I, didn't, I think I felt like he was rapey towards just about everybody. Yeah. Like it was, they they very much uh, they did that, which I, I mean, it's Clive Barker, and so um, I I read I, on that note. So Clive Barker's gay, yeah. um, Jodorowsky. Is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky. Yeah, the director. Apparently, yeah. he uh, he was a fan of the movie, and his reading of, of it is that it's like um, an unspoken sexual interest between Boone and Decker, an unconsummated relationship. And he thought it was like he thought it was like a great like gay horror film or something. I was like, huh. I don't know. Oh my maybe. god. I want <laughs> I mean, to you, see you do, that movie. You do have Boone you do have Boone like penetrating Decker with the knife through his own abdomen. Yeah. That's how he kills him. But beyond that, I don't know if there's a whole lot that you could like no. point to other than the fact that Clive Barker's gay, but I don't know yeah. if there's a whole lot of textual information to s- support it, but cause like Jodorowsky is also kind of nuts. So yeah, J- Jodorowsky is, is he's amazing, but crazy. And I want to see that movie. That would be a more interesting movie. Yeah. I, I, and I enjoy this movie. <laughs> I watch this movie with friends with booze and hanging out like not, to really get into it it just but yeah no the we spend a lot of the only nightbreed we spend time with is the very creepy dude who tore off half of his head or half of his head skin 
uh, Narcisse and um, uh, Rachel, and then the elder. And you spend a little bit of time with the elder, who's Doug Doug Bradley. Pinhead. Doug Bradley. You know, who's in everything. Um, He, like... But even then, he his entire role is he's Basil Exposition. He he's just there to be like, this is who we are and this is what we do. Except he doesn't do any of that. We don't know who they are. We don't know what they do. <laughs> well, David, earlier you you uh, you mentioned like uh, you know some of the sequences that we get and like stuff that could be cut. Um, you did mention one thing I didn't want to address, like uh, the like friend that shows up out of nowhere that ends up being like like she's dating decker she thinks and you know he's follows her and the main girlfriend to the cemetery that does set up one of my favorite moments of the movie which is a moment with decker where it's like him and the lead girlfriend are in the court this cornfield together and decker's wearing this the creepy mask and he's got her at like knife point and he knows her name and she asks, like, well, how do you know who I am? It's like, well, that's that's quite a good question. And here's the answer. And, like, it's just, like, this creepy moment of, like, Cronenberg really nailing it. He reaches into his own mouth in the mask and stretches the mask off his face. And I don't know if that was, like, an improv thing or if it was planned, but, like, just adds this, like, weirdness to the moment. And, again, goes to show for me of, like, I want more david cronenberg yeah. being creepy weirdos yeah. the, the thing i love about that mask too is it's never quite on right at any point the mouth is always just a little <laughs> bit off from where it should be and it's such a well i think it's designed to be yeah, off. it's such I, a I think great like it's detail and it's so cool yeah. i and because i watched the movie twice in 72 hours <laughs> basically i noticed this i i love the mask I love that it extends down mm-hmm. under mm-hmm. his uh, buttoned uh, collar with the uh, tie. Yeah, down. it's very utilitarian. It's actually planned out really yeah, well. Uh, except, I noticed. So, did you undo your tie, unbutton your shirt, put on the mask, button your shirt again, and then redo your tie? I just want to. That's either ridiculous and and I'm just being dumb and not suspending my disbelief because I watched a movie too much in a short amount of time, or that's a moment I really want to see in a movie. Just a nice, calm little Cronenberg could sell oh, this 100%. moment. We, we could have just cut so many it things in. just for that. <laughs> I would be fine. Like, fine. Let's cut out the entire prophecy and just give me that moment. Yeah. Focus more on the croissant in, the, in that. Oh, fun thing before I forget, the woman who, who scooped up the lobster croissant or whatever the fuck it was um, is played... Lobster croissant, claiming that band name. <laughs> uh, she is played by uh, Katie Sagel's sister. Really? Yep. Uh, I'll get her name here in a second. Uh, McNally Sagel. Who's Katie Sagel? Uh, she is um, Pam Bundy or um, yeah. Peg Bundy. Oh, okay, okay, Peg, gotcha. Peg Bundy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, okay. A couple of things. Uh, we'll probably wrap up here soon, but I want to throw out like just some production stuff. So I had mentioned like the marketing 
for this uh well maybe i didn't mention but basically barker pointed to the marketing as being uh one of the things that killed this movie i don't know if that's totally fair given the movie that we see um but they did you know they, the studio did chop things down um but I, I guess they sort of sold this as like a slasher film which it very much is not so i could understand people walking into it if they were sold that being like what's this but to the studio's credit, I don't know how you do sell this movie. It's not it's not really clear in its own vision. So I don't know, like, the slasher angle while lying might have been their best bet. Um, you know, you could have sold it on this kind of, like, gothic fable kind of thing. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he claimed, Barker said that the head of marketing at Morgan Creek never watched all the way through because it quote disgusted and distressed him. Um, so that, that was Barker's claim. And that also, <laughs> also in a tie in documentary, Barker relates that the producers expressed a concern that quote, the monsters are the good guys. And Barker replied, that's the point. So <laughs> there did seem to be some, you know, like uh, friction there with, the uh the studio to the point that they you know they, they cut it down and i did mention the cabal cut i'll just very briefly address that here so there was the hour 42 or something for the original that got released there is the director's cut which i think is kind of considered the final version the director's cut is the found footage like the footage that he didn't think uh, he thought it was like gone or destroyed or whatever but they're able to recover it and they cleaned it all up and so it does look good you know, it's all it all looks good in the transfer and everything, but the a couple years before that there was the Cabal cut, which was like kind of a fan made thing, and then it got released semi officially for fans. But that is a bunch of footage that's like sourced from like a VHS work print copy of the tape, so I'm sure it looks heinous. Um, so it'll be like scenes that are like going to be DVD quality of the original up against this VHS quality that was released. It's out there in like very limited quantities. Um, so Uber fans, limited of, release. yeah, so Uber vans of like Clive Barker, you know, could track that down, but that's what the deal is with the cabal cut. And, uh, and then, you know, Barker took from the original like negatives and stuff to make the final director's cut. So there's that, and then uh, uh, only other production tidbits I found that were interesting was, so we were talking about the lead having no charisma whatsoever. Guess who was considered for the lead for Boone? Rutger Hauer. Oh, that Rutger been great. fucking Hauer. Uh, give me that movie, please. <laughs> uh, you are leaving out the worst choice, though. Who, who else was in there? Christopher Lambert. <laughs> <laughs> I would have. I would have. Been I would have been okay that. <laughs> the other. Um, the other interesting thing that I found was uh, so apparently, and this is like only within like the last year this information came out. Maybe it'd been floating out in horror circles for a while, but it was only confirmed like in the last year or something. But the movie itself, even though it was based on the book by Clive Barker, um, he's credited as this for the screenplay. But I guess someone ghost wrote the screenplay. Huh. I don't know if Barker retooled it or something, you know, messed around with it. Because usually, like, as far as I know, like the, the DG or the, the Screenwriters Guild, it's pretty stringent on, like, who gets credit of, like, you know, you wrote this and other people added to it or whatever. 
Anyway, supposedly um, the person who ghost wrote the screenplay was Mark Frost of Twin Peaks fame, the co-creator of Twin Peaks. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. Possibly there's some odd translation that. in that of him adapting a Barker book and then Barker directing off of that script and maybe Barker changes stuff. Maybe that messes up stuff along the way. But so those are some of the production things I was going to throw out there. Um, just to... There's also an extended VHS cut. Okay. No, no, I was just... Um, the uh, the Cabal cut's ridiculous because there were several different versions of it mm-hmm. uh, as it went around. I... This I gotta is, read the comic. I think I'm gonna yeah. download the comic and see what happens. Because I want to know. <laughs> Nate Nate's immersed in the world of Nightbreed now. Well, it, I mean, I, I honestly saw this being having potential that just was wasted a a little bit on this movie because i I don't think they could figure out what they wanted to do in this movie and that and that perhaps two and three because i think it was thought of as being a trilogy that i think it could have been interesting but you just have to i mean i think you just have to pick it pick what you want to do i wanted to uh i thought about buying the uh the novella but I realized that I didn't have enough time to read it all before when I had the idea. I was like, I want to know what this was supposed to be. I did. Yeah, it was weird when I was looking it up. Like Wikipedia somewhere, maybe on the main page for the film, says it's a novella. But if you go to the actual page for it, it's like 350 pages. So I'm pretty sure it's a novel. Um, so I, I, unless it's like a collection and it's just part you know it's like called cabal is the collection and then a cabal is the story within it i don't know but well there's hellbound the, heart the, is the comics are called uh the nightbreed stories or something like that the night nightbreed sagas so uh, part two so i think maybe it is a collection of stories Linton. well yeah. that i'm not talking about the comics i'm talking we're talking about the original novel right, that... right but that's but if they made the comic to be something similar to that because it is yeah well no I, well I, I meant possibly there was a short story collection called Cabal. I, I don't oh. think there's more than one Nightbreed story. Gotcha, I think it's just gotcha, one gotcha. thing. But sometimes they name it after you know the the main story. Or I understand something. what you're but, saying. Though. Um, and I did see on the comics that I think like old Moonhead, old Mac Tonight uh, wrote some <laughs> of them, um, which was odd. Yeah, I, I will uh, say I don't know if this is something you're going to be bringing up, but um, apparently. Nightbreed has been approved to be a TV series in the coming year. I saw, I wow. wasn't going to bring it up. I saw that. that there was some talk of that. It didn't, this was like pre pandemic oh, stuff yeah. and a few years ago. And there didn't, there, well, and there didn't, there didn't seem to be any like, oh, and now this or that's happening. So I, I took it as like a lot of things get quote unquote announced. Like Clive Barker announces I'm going to do a Nightbreed show. It's like, well, once it's greenlit, let me know. Um, but yeah, it's possible. It, it might happen. Maybe that's Hulu's Witcher that they're going for. They're going for a series, so they're going to do Nightbreed. I think. I think there's some the legs Witcher. to it. You could do it if you actually kind of figure out your own mythology. You know, you could have some fun with it. Honestly, I think it would have been a great sci-fi channel or USA channel um, uh, hour-long TV series mm-hmm. in the mid '90s. I'm I think they were talking like about it being being on sci-fi for this thing if it actually happened. It reminded yeah. me of Beauty and the Beast from the 90s. Yeah. Like it feels it feels like it could have become something like Beauty and the Beast swamp mm-hmm. thing, one of those. I would agree. 
Oh, one that, more uh, production note. Um, we talked some about like the production styling and special effects and all that kind of stuff in this. So there are a lot of matte paintings. Uh, well, there's the the cave drawings and stuff that we see at different points, but there's also these matte paintings that at points are in the background. They're for the cemetery, and at points they're like almost in the foreground and kind of distractingly fake looking. <laughs> um, as good as they look in their composition, it's like most movies would not put the, you know, you don't put matte paintings up front for a reason. You put them, you know, it's at the background. So, you know, it's like, oh, that looks good in the distance. But they do all these like cemetery things with matte paintings and they look cool. So those were actually done by Ralph McQuarrie, who was the oh. famous uh, Star Wars illustrator who essentially created the look of much of star wars he designed oh, that's cool the look of darth vader and helped you know co-designed yoda and like the x-wings and the tie fighters and everything so uh ralph McQuarrie worked on this all right as my last little production note uh let's wrap up here would you recommend nightbreed yeah i think it, i think it kind of depends the mood everyone's in i think it'd probably be a really good group watch in a lot of regards but yeah, if you're having like a weird movie night where you're not purposely trying to make fun of movies, but you're you're looking to enjoy a thing while also mocking some of the weird shit, I think it could be a really fun time. I recently, um, before uh, b- before you gave us the homework to watch this, I uh, recently recommended it to a friend, and his response was, "It's fun. It, it was certainly a movie, though." So I think, like, if you don't warn people that it's just a fun B-movie, they're going to walk into it with expectations. Um, Or like Dusty said, we should, uh, this should be a group watch. Just let's watch this weird-ass movie. Yeah, I I, I think I'd recommend it, too. I I think it's a similar idea of just, like, go into it with a bad movie night. And and knowing that bad movies aren't always bad, they're just, you know, they don't tend to do well, but... I I, lo- I would add this to my bad movie collection that I would enjoy watching. I think it's fun. Uh, I I like I said I want more, only because I really really I, I mean I thought it was an interesting idea. Yeah. I just don't think it was necessarily executed great. I, and and I like the idea of like learning like I want to know more about the Nightbreed. They were intriguing to me. Uh, there were a lot of different things that they they a lot of different things mentioned about them where. But nothing was ever established, so I kind of like am like I want to know what's going on with these things. Doctor Moreau, uh, the people under the stairs. I think it it could just be a really interesting set of films to really kind of compare and contrast yeah. and get very high and drunk to allegedly. Fair enough. <laughs> um, good, good callback. Good callback. Uh, yeah, the the Brando Doctor Moreau. Um, yeah, I, I, that's that's solid. Uh, we'll definitely do that on the show at some point. But I'll just interject this now because we're talking about the the look of the monsters i will go to my grave defending the look of those human animal hybrids in the island of dr moreau because those are fantastic and terrifying those like the leopard Mm -hmm. guy and the like hyena man those things are like vicious and scary and i think it was like stan winston or uh, somebody some other somebody real big in uh rick baker possibly somebody worked on that um and then the rest of the movie around it is kind of a mess but uh, I, I, I am all for that look. Um, and I agree with your, uh, I, am Lynn and I agree with your message, Dustin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, <laughs> I've redeemed myself oh. for the apple. 
Dang it. Dusty One Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, uh, yeah, for myself, like, I actually would. We, we kind of spent the majority of this really railing on Nightbreed and giving it a real hard time, uh, particularly that lead actor. So hopefully he doesn't, like, Google Nightbreed re- uh, regularly to find out what people are saying. Um, but, I mean, he's mostly uh, yeah. doing evangelical movies now, so you should be fine. Oh, is he really? Yeah, he was in a couple of um, a series of movies called The Mark, which is, like, an action movie version of... The tribulation, you know. I see. Which so he's clearly he's clearly trying to atone for Nightbreed then. <laughs> um, okay, but yeah, I mean, we've been like railing on it, but like, yeah, I think like at the end of the day, especially the director's cut, I think the director's cut cleans some stuff up. You, from my understanding, you see more of the Nightbreed. You see more creatures. There's a lot of stuff from what I read that they just sort of left on the cutting room floor, like when they get into the sort of like Nightbreed Central. Uh, down like, under, yeah. Well, but Midian's the whole area. So when they get down into the the bowels of Midian, and uh, so there's like different stuff in there that I think they just like shot a bunch of really expensive stuff, and then the studio took it out. It's like that that doesn't make sense. Um, so yeah, like the Nightbreed are cool ideas. They look cool. Um, Decker, I really like. I like Cronenberg, how he performs throughout all of it. He's he's creepy. Um, the look of him's great. Decker also makes an excellent Halloween costume. They have released versions of the mask. So I would, you know, that's, uh, yes, David, that's something you should do sometime. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, I've never done it, but like he's a, he'd be like a fun one to do for a con or something. But yeah, like I would say it's, it's I don't think it's a successful movie. I don't think I think you see ambition here. You see ideas that are at play, but if you're going to look at Clive Barker's filmography of things that he's been associated with in in any way, um, I don't think this movie is anywhere nearly as good as the original Hellraiser, which works incredibly well as a horror film. Hellraiser Two is just bonkers fun and just crazy yeah. and operatic yeah. big. And this goes for some bonkers fun, but I don't think is as clear in purpose. And then, like, Candyman is just uh, an incredibly classy, slow-burn horror movie. I mean, Barker wasn't directly involved in that. But, like, so if you're talking about, like, Barker's effects on film, those are the ones that I would say stand out the most. Nightbreed's a little bit more of a curiosity. So I would recommend it for, you know, if you're a horror fan, it's something you really have to see at least once. Uh, if you're a fan of, like, uh, especially, like, movie monsters, movie makeup, you just, like, appreciate the artistry of that, it's really worth seeing. If you're a fan of David Cronenberg's movies, it's worth seeing him play a pretty good horror character. And, you know, he popped up in, like, Jason X and some other stuff in cameos, but here he gets, like, a legit supporting role, um, and he's good, I will I will keep saying how good yeah, David Cronenberg is as the villain in this. All right, um, so yeah, I would I would recommend it, but to kind of that limited uh, audience, I, I would not like widely recommend it. And I think these guys are right in saying that like you should probably give the heads up of like it ain't great, but there's some cool stuff. Uh, check out Nightbreed if you got a free night, or if it's uh, the month of October. And you're looking to just like fill in with some horror stuff you've never seen before. All right. So that is our wrap up on Nightbreed. Can I find this? So we talked about the three different cuts. 
Um, so the original was an hour 40 or so. Director's cut is two hours and Cabal cut is 2.30. Of those, I don't know if you can find the Cabal cut easily anywhere. I mean, they they released it like a very limited run on like Blu-ray basically so they wouldn't compete with the director's cut that was coming, but they wanted to like placate fans. So it's like, here, you can buy it for $150. And some people did. Um, so there's like limited quantities of that out there. And I'm sure it goes for like astronomical amounts on the secondary market. Um, the director's cut, as these guys were finding, is out there on a lot of like streaming services and stuff. The original is 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 out there in different ways. I don't know how easy. David, did you say you found the original streaming somewhere? Yes. Uh, it took forever to find, but Tubi. Tubi okay. had it, um, has the original cut, whereas Shutter Prime, um, at least two other things I saw. Yeah. Uh, some of them aren't marked Nightbreed, the director's cut. Like, yeah. looking at how long are you? Oh, right. okay. Yeah, you'll probably have to look yeah, at the links to figure it out. And, uh, and I think it's one of those situations where the director's cut has sort of overshadowed now the original cut, similar to like Blade Runner the final cut is now seen as like the version. And I don't know how often you can come across the theatrical version of Blade Runner, unless you like track down a VHS or DVD copy or something. So if you, depending on what version you want to try to find, they're out there in different ways. Um, they're all available on like DVD and Blu-ray cabal cut, very limited means may not have been on DVD, but at least Blu-ray. The other two are on DVD and Blu-ray. And then Either director and or original are on Pluto TV, Peacock, Tubi, Vudu. Those are all free. They're also on Amazon Prime, iTunes, Apple TV, and others. Um, and then, of course, as always, there is the dark web that you can hit up. And in a case like this, it's probably your best bet if you're trying to see different versions of this, particularly the Cabal Cut because it's going to be hard to uh, track it down otherwise. But the directors and um, original are, you know, out there in some way. All right. So that is our uh, episode on Nightbreed. We will be back next time switching gears, looking at the 1980s fantasy film Crawl, which I have never seen. I've been aware of it for a long time. So I got a, I got a crew together here for crawl it's one of those movies k-r-u-l-l -L. it's one of those movies that like came about after the success of star wars when everything was we got to do as many fantasy and science fiction movies that we can possibly do and the closer they are to star wars the better and from what i understand this one is pretty close in a lot of uh what it's trying to do i you know i, I doubt it's very successful but we're going to give it a look so join us next time for Crawl.